0: started out as a special presentation by the Pearl River Central High School's Fellowship of Christian Athletes Uh, turned into a full-fledged revival that has transformed many in the Carrier Mississippi School and left the administrators of the school absolutely astounded. It was, said the principal Lolita Lee of Pearl River High School, it was the most incredible thing I've ever seen in all of my years as an educator. This meeting could not have been stopped. You could tell something spiritual was happening in the lives of those students. The revival started out as a special program sponsored by the school's Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and it was attended by nearly 90% of the school's 670 students. The program was originally scheduled for one hour, but when the bell rang, the principal said there were more than 100 students standing in line to be prayed for and to make spiritual decisions. So Lee did something that she said probably doesn't happen in normal public school settings. She let the service continue. And continue it did for more than four hours. Through three class periods and lunch, students wept, prayed, sang, and made amends with other students. It was heart-stopping, said Lee, a member of one of the local Baptist churches. When I realized how many students needed to pray, I went ahead and let the program continue. Following a hastily arranged telephone call to to the school's superintendent, The principal went back to the gymnasium where the revival was taking place. Who was I to say to these students, you're not important, you all go back to class. And yet nearly one month later, Lee said that the results of the revival are manifested in the hallways of Pearl River Central High every day. I've had teachers and staff tell me how much better the students are behaving. This has to be an absolutely wonderful thing for our kids and for our school. Revival is defined biblically as something that is overtly spiritual, something that takes place because God says for it to. It's an otherworldly visitation from God that restores His people to that place where they were. They are brought back to their unique relationship with God. It has happened before to others, whether it be in a church, whether it be in a school, whether it's simply erupted out of a prayer meeting. But something significant takes place as God ignites uh, a prayer meeting, as he ignites a testimony as he brings into fruition a a a small ounce of faith and makes it into a burning uh, fire revival it is a god ordained god chosen reality that impacts life into God's people. However, why is it that revival happens to some and not to others? Why is it that there are those who are brought back to life through revival when there are other churches and prayer meetings and uh, other faith-related things that do not see the revival-creating blessing that some do? What is it that Uh, allow some to experience this holy hallmark of God's blessing while others don't. While others miss it. Is there something that we need to do to kind of up our chances to make us one of those unique Groups that experience uh, a full fledged uh, revival that God brings uh, while others do not. Is there a criteria that we need to meet and be aware of and to seek God's face for? Uh, what can we do? to make our uh, opportunities as good as it can be to experience this overwhelming moving of God in our midst. Well, this morning I wanted to try to address this issue about revival from one of the best known of all revival passages the passage, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14. And you will likely recognize this passage. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Now, in this strategic passage, Solomon and all of Israel are dedicating this new structure to the Lord. It is the Lord's house. It is the Lord's temple. They are in the process of dedicating this monument unto the Lord. Now, this has been an ongoing celebration. In fact, 23 days of... Uh all kinds of celebration and uh glory that are had in this time period to let God know that his people have built him a house on earth that he might occupy again second chronicles seven. Uh let me begin in verse twelve uh, through fourteen as we uh gain some um character to this to this event. Verse twelve, second chronicles seven. Then the Lord said to Solomon by night, and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for for myself as a house of sacrifice. And when I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now, in this passage, Solomon... Uh, y'all, I, I'm feeling pretty sick right now. <laughs> you probably can tell this. So just please be patient with me and help me get, get, um, get through this this sermon, okay? Um, God was telling His people that the time was coming because of their disobedience to God. He was, in effect, threatening that these things were going to come. First of all, he says that there would be a time when he would shut up the heavens so that it would cease to rain. And when that happened and there would be no more rain, that it would bring drought to their country, that would bring devastation to their land, and it would bring disease to their people. He says, when I shut up heaven in verse 13 and there is no rain, or I command the locusts to devour the land or pestilence among my people. He is laying out the uh, prediction of the people's uh, disobedience to him and, and what God was going to befall the people because of their disobedience. And so he speaks of <clears throat> the lack of rain that would result in drought among the people, that would, that would result in devastation to the land and then devastation or disease upon the people. He is saying that time will come. Because of your disobedience and because of your uh, lack of truth with me, he said, what what is going to happen are these things are going to be seen in your lifetime. However, then in verse 14, uh, Solomon changes gears or God changes gears through Solomon. And he tells Solomon to tell the people that not only will these things happen because of their disobedience, but he now says these things, the lack of rain, the devastation to the land, the sickness upon the people, that these things can be put off if my people who are called by my name, will do these things. Humble themselves, that they will seek his face, pray, and turn from their wicked ways. These are the qualifiers for revival. Most importantly, though, in this uh, verse 14, what we see is God setting up an if-then construction. Now this is just a literary construction that can be found uh, in, in, in many uh, passages in the Scripture, but also just in conversation throughout the day. If-then. If you will do these things, then God says, I will do this. If the people of God will meet these requirements, if my people will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will Restore their land. I will, uh, I will turn away from uh, all of these things, like the like, um, no rain, problems with the land, the uh, disease upon the people. I will forego these, and I will bring revival to you if you will meet these stipulations. The first part, if you will do these things, if we will meet these conditions, then God says, I will act upon these and then I will bring about revival. So in a very real way, folks, revival is based upon us. It's based upon you. If you want there to be a renewal happen in your life, if you want there to be a significant moving of the Spirit of God in your life, it can happen. it can happen but these qualifiers are very important that we first of all we have to acknowledge to God where we are that we indeed have left God that there has been a forsaking of the truth of God that we have allowed the issues of life to uh, take precedence over our walk and love of God, that we have let the devil in. And because we have allowed the enemy to take precedence over our walk with God, God says one of the two things is going to happen. Either the fulfilling of our desires, holding on to the enemy more than to God, either that will happen where God will withdraw His uh, blessing upon us, uh, he will cause uh, the negative to come into play in our lives, and we will find ourselves um, reaping the benefits of a life lived um, outside of the will of God. Or we can admit what's happened. We can acknowledge where we are. We can confess to the Lord, God, we have walked away. and God, we are in deep need of a fresh new touch of grace from Your hand. And so what do I need to do? What do you need to do? I need to humble myself and seek the Lord's face and turn away from my wicked ways. Let me... Just move on to conclusion. In his book, Revivals, Its Laws and Leaders, James Burns wrote in his book, the, What Happens in the Absence of Revival. He identifies things like Liberal doctrine, doctrine that no longer holds to the convicting power of the conscience. Spiritual decay, spiritual decay is a revival killer just like liberal doctrine is and formality in worship where ritual can be exalted such that it crushes the spirit. That these three factors, liberal doctrine, spiritual decay, and formality and worship, are laws that will kill revival. Realities that will that will decimate revival. But there's one more law that is also obvious as a revival killer. And it is the law of somebody else. You may have heard it in a poem like this. There's a clever young guy named somebody else. There's nothing this guy can't do. He is busy from morning till way late at night, just substituting for you. You're asked to do this or you're asked to do that, and what is your ready reply? Get somebody else to do that job. He'll do it much better than I. So much to do in this weary old world, so much, and workers so few, and somebody else, all weary and worn, is still substituting just for you. The next time you're asked to do something worthwhile, just give this ready reply. If somebody else can give time and support, my goodness, then so can I. But this somebody else is not the somebody else of service. Not the somebody else to step up and do a job within the church when that job needs done. But this is the somebody else of revival. It's always somebody else that needs it. It's always somebody else whose heart isn't open. It's always someone else whose sins are darker than mine. It's always somebody else who stands in the limelight and it's not me somebody else somebody else's need somebody else's problem somebody else's uh, adequate ways but one sure revival killer in your life is that revival is for somebody else not for me Therefore, who is it that God wants to renew their passion? Who is it that God wants to restore their first love? Well, I'm not sure, but brother so-and-so sure seems to be missing church a lot lately. You know, sister so-and-so, she sure has the look lately of someone who is out of fellowship with God. The people in front of me, the people behind me, they are the ones who need revival. It's always someone else but me. When God is calling and drawing We let it go right over the top of our heads to hit somebody else. Revival is for me. It is for you. It's not just for the person to the side of us or behind us. It's not just to the other Wagging tongues in our church is for mine too. You know, several months ago I shared with you out of Ezekiel 47 a passage whereby God was helping Ezekiel to understand about the growth of spirituality, about revival and growing deeper with God. And Isaiah found himself, I'm sorry, Ezekiel found himself, Ezekiel 47, and at the temple, the temple of God. And he met a man coming out to the side of the temple of God. And the man had this measuring rod, this measuring stick. And he showed Ezekiel this measuring stick and he put it at the Uh, temple and told Ezekiel to measure out 1,000 units from the temple of God out down the river of God. And when they measured it out, the water came ankle deep to Ezekiel. They took this measuring rod and measured out 1,000 units and Ezekiel said, I could walk through the river of God. It was ankle deep. They measured out another thousand cubits and the they measured and the measurement came up to Ezekiel's knees. He walked through the water. The water of God was up to his knees. The next Uh, measurement came up to his chest, and then the next measurement was over his head. The teaching in this passage was the water of the river of God symbolized the power of God in his life. The ability, the Uh, part of him that was above or out of the water symbolized the flesh. Okay? And as long as uh, 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 Ezekiel's being uh, measured, this first measurement was at his ankles. Well, the water at your ankles does little good. I mean... With your body and the the flesh, you can move easily uh, through the water, and the water up to your ankles does little good. But as you you get deeper, it goes to your knees, and then to your waist, and to your chest. The more the water. Uh, has buoyancy, the more the water uh, overwhelms the the, uh, flesh, the more you are susceptible to the moving of the Spirit of God in your life. Until the last measurement, Ezekiel said that the water was above my head so that the Spirit of God would take him wherever it wanted him to go. The Spirit of God led him, and Ezekiel's ability to to, to hang on and to have his flesh uh, be the stronger, it couldn't happen. And so the question is this this morning. When it comes to Revival in your life, the real moving of God in your life. Where are you? Are you at ankle level? Does the Spirit of God only hold that much of you? Is the Spirit of God empowering your life only to the point of your ankles or knees? It's only when we allow the Spirit of God to cover us where. The Spirit of God overwhelms the flesh that we can walk in revival. Revival's not for somebody else. It is for you. It is for me.